Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Two hours have flown by here throughout the evening. I don't know. Sounds kind of odd to say that, but it truly has. Having a good time here. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Spent the bulk of hour number one talking about the Northwestern scandal, the saga playing out there in Evanston, the news that has continued to develop there. And you know what? I, I did promise that if there was any any breaking news worthy of delivering that I would give it to you. So I'll go ahead and do that before we get out to the hotline. Breaking news on 670 The Score is presented by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com. Today, it has been confirmed at this point that Northwestern defensive coordinator David Braun, one of the newest members of the Wildcats coaching staff, has had the liaison title removed, I suppose would be the accurate way to phrase that. And he is now fully varnished, full-fledged interim as the interim head coach for Northwestern football. is David Brown, who's never coached at the Power 5 level. They got him from uh, North Dakota State. So he will, at least for the time being, be the interim head coach for Northwestern football. So as we transition into the football conversation here, we'll focus more on the professional end of things as the Bears prepare to open up training camp. So let's go out to the score hotline presented by Cirque Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And talks to my guy Dan Weeder, a Bears beat reporter from the Tribune. Dan, how you doing this evening? Doing great, Ant. Great to talk to you. Yeah, man, appreciate you taking the time to do so. So the, the Take the North pod, I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of we're in that dead phase right now where, you know, not a lot of sports happening, period, unless you guys want to talk some Wimbledon on there. Training camp hasn't opened yet, so, I mean, is the schedule for Take the North a little bit lighter right now? Do you get a little bit of a respite before you get that fired up again? Still, uh, still pumping out at least one a week. David and I did one uh, this afternoon. Talked a little bit about uh, Jalen Johnson getting uh, some agent representation. Talked a little bit about Virginia McCaskey and Steve McMichael being Hall of Fame semifinalists uh, in the uh, senior committee category and the contributor category. Uh, there's always football, as you know. It's a 365 day a year sport here. Every time you think you can take a rest, something pops up and and comes to meet you. Yeah, no doubt about that, man. Virginia McCaskey and Steve McMichael again uh, amongst the the you know potentials uh, for consideration. They're semifinalists at the moment. That is actually where I wanted to start with you because I wonder. I want to talk about both separately here, but specific to Virginia McCaskey. I mean, just pure longevity for a franchise like the Chicago Bears and her leadership. It, it seems worthy of consideration for the Hall, but you know, I do wonder. What's your impression of, of what actually gets consideration for a true Hall of Fame resume when you're talking about someone who's in an executive capacity? Does it need to be where 
you know, like the, the Rooney family, you can name a bunch of them because they've got like the Rooney rule. And there's been some things that the Steelers as an organization have done to, you know, sort of shift the tide of life in the NFL. It, what, what would necessarily be on Virginia McCaskey's resume that, that might really allow her to get to the next phase of Hall of Fame consideration? Yeah, as you know, she turned 100 earlier this year, and so that means really for the last 40 years she's been the uh, principal owner of uh, one of the charter franchises of the league and, and overseen a lot during that time, um, as you know. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the longevity does come into play in, in terms of somebody that has been around the league for a long time and, and contributed, and it's certainly a, a nice honor to just be, even be considered uh, in the conversation, and I think that's that's a lot of it right now. And again, for uh, the times that I've been around Mrs. McCaskey, it's just really, really impressive how sharp she is, how in tune with everything she is. A hundred years old, you know, and and still, obviously, still uh, very much a part of that franchise in a lot of different ways. Let's talk some Mongo, where Steve McMichael was certainly a member of one of the great defenses and the great defensive stretches for the Chicago Bears in the '80s and. He's surrounded by Hall of Famers. It's very easy to get overshadowed when you have the cast of characters that yeah. were his teammates during that stretch. Do you feel like he, he would have been a Hall of Fame caliber player if not surrounded by those individuals? Is there a legitimate candidacy to be made for Mongo? There's certainly a legitimate candidacy to be made, and I think it's one of those things that goes hand in hand. I think he's in consideration because he was surrounded by those Hall of Fame players and that uh, he also helped make them Hall of Famers. You talk to every one of those guys, whether it's Dan Hampton or Mike Singletary, to some extent Richard Dent, they tell you what Steve McMichael meant to that defense and and what he brought, not only from a personality standpoint, we know how boisterous and and, and how he was, particularly in his younger days, uh, but, but the way he worked and the way he grinded and the way he committed and the way he pushed to get the most out of himself and his teammates on an everyday basis is not to be overlooked. And there are numbers and that, that, that go along with Steve McMichael's resume that are hard to overlook. Uh, two that I like to bring up, 95 career sacks from that defensive tackle position. That's a legitimate number right there. Yeah. When you look at other defensive tackles with those types of uh, uh, quarterback pressure numbers, and then the one that, that really, to me, signifies who Steve McMichael was, 191 regular season games played all in a row throw on top of that a dozen playoff games. So, so you're talking about more than 200 consecutive games played in a Bears uniform without missing time. That's a testament to what, uh, you, you know, commitment is, right? And, and, and all the guys that played with Steve understand what that meant to them, and Steve certainly understood what it took to do that. Dan Weederer of the Tribune and one of our contributors on The Score here with me on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The Score also co-hosts the Take the North podcast with our guy David Haw. And you recently wrote a, a bit just about the, the space the Bears are in as it relates to Arlington Heights and, and where that yeah. conversation seems to be going. In, in the end, a lot of posturing will likely continue to happen here and taking meetings with everyone and due diligence makes all the sense in the world. But do you think there's a, a legitimate chance that the bears don't end up in Arlington? There's always a chance. I, I just, when you, when you look at the chessboard and you see that they own this 326 acre property uh, in Arlington Heights, when you understand the vision that they have for what that can become, when you understand why they purchased that property to begin with, 
you know that that's the front runner, you know, and there's just a lot of chess that needs to be played to get the numbers to make sense, to understand what the taxation challenges look like, to understand what funding is going to be needed to build the stadium. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of story ahead when it comes to the Bears stadium situation. And people just have to buckle in and be ready for the roller coaster to take some, some twists and turns. But certainly Arlington Heights sure seems to be the favorite and will remain the favorite until anything even close to as viable as that property is pops up. And so it's just going to be really interesting to watch this all unfold and, and to see some of the games that need to be played. You know, Kevin Warren is here because of some of the work he did in Minneapolis and getting U.S. Bank Stadium built. It's a different political climate here. There's a lot of different dynamics at play. And so you got to just figure out how to surf those. And it's going to be, uh, you know, fascinating, really probably six months here in, in the near future to, to figure out which direction this goes. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the six months because I'm curious about the timeline there where if the if it's over the next six months where the decision on the location ends up becoming finalized, then what's your impression of how construction would go from there? I mean, the Bears still have the home available to them at Soldier Field for the time being. But then, you know, at at what point are they in, you know, the the Arlington Heights facility or the Naperville facility or wherever else they might end up? But how long does that part take? Yeah, so the, so the standard timeline nowadays to get one of these massive new age NFL stadiums built is is three years, and that's three years from the time that the shovel goes into the ground to the time that you kind of open those doors and have your first event in there. And so, if you are to break ground in 2024, which I think is still a legitimate possibility, if everything can move in the direction that that the Bears hope it moves, well, then you're talking about 2027, potentially 2028 as as the, the year where they will transition from an outdoor Soldier Field team into a uh, indoor Arlington Heights team. And it'll be a weird transition for a little bit, but I think any team that has kind of undergone these changes and gone to a new stadium sees very quickly that you can make people very comfortable with your new digs when you, uh, when you jazz them up and, and you do all the things amenity-wise that, that people are looking for from a stadium in this age. And we all know what the Soldier Field experience is like. I think everyone looks forward to the possibility of what a new stadium experience could be like. And so now it's just kind of that waiting game to see when that first shovel hits the ground. All right. Can't go too long without talking to some Justin Fields here as we get ready to take a a close look at him when they hit the field in training camp. As you watch them in many camps, what what were your impressions? You know, the the fields to more connection, the Bears offense as a whole in year two under Luke Getze. Are, Are you seeing signs of growth yet on the practice field? Yeah, there's signs of growth, without question. And, and look, like we get a half dozen practices to watch during the spring between OTAs and minicamp. And then we get a whole six-week sample size during the, the, the late stretch of July and all of August and into early September to kind of really measure that growth chart and see where that progress is going. So I'm super eager to get to camp in a few weeks and, and to, to watch this unfold in the training camp setting because he's going to be challenged and he's going to be pushed and they, they want him to show growth in a lot of different areas. I think what you saw in the spring that is incredibly encouraging is the instant connection with DJ Moore. Uh, that came very naturally and very quickly, and everyone in the building felt it. And that's, that's not to be taken lightly. And then you just see Justin continuing to work. You know, he knows the work that's in front of him. He knows how steep this climb is. He knows what's expected of him, and he's willing to do all that stuff. Now it's about kind of taking little steps and making sure that by the time you get to week one, you feel like you're in a position to, to be a different quarterback than you were at the end of 2022. And we all know that that means kind of being more productive as a passer, being more comfortable in the pocket, being able to process quicker and understand what the offense asks of you based on what the defense is doing. 
And so all those things will be put to the test in, in that training camp stretch. And I've said this for a while now, those, those two crossover practices in Indianapolis are a nice little, uh, just, you know, a little break in the training camp grind, but also a, a chance to test some things out against an opponent, right, in, in a controlled setting. And so those are going to be a, a fun couple of days down in Westfield, Indiana, and then we'll see how much they're willing to let him play in preseason game action. Do you think that Chicago Bears fans, do they have the stomach for a, <laughs> like a Daniel Jones or Tua Tonga-Vailoa type of scenario where it's like, eh, you know, there, there's enough to stick with here, but it's still not 100% sure. If we get through the end of year three and, and that's the case, or even if it's just looking along those lines during season three for Justin Fields, do Bears fans have the stomach for that, or does it feel like it, it needs to be definitive? Like he's, he's on a, an MVP trajectory, and, and we kind of know that for sure. I think everybody wants it to be definitive. I think this league tells us that more often than not, it's not definitive. And we lived it with Mitch. We lived it with Jay. We understand what happens when it isn't certain, and you can't tell. And there is a lot of gray areas. All of a sudden, people start gravitating to their different corners and really pulling on that rope and playing that tug-of-war game that really exhausts Chicago. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he good? Is he bad? You know, we've done it forever, and I think that that's a very real possibility in 2023 for the Bears. Now, it's up to Justin to kind of change that narrative, and the way to change that narrative is to play really well, to play winning football, to show uh, not only the fans, but obviously the front office who's going to be watching this very closely that, yeah, this is a guy worth investing in. This is a guy worth building around uh, for the long term, and it's going to be a pivotal 17-game stretch here, and there's so much that plays into that. Um, you know, I, I'll obviously be looking into this closer when camp starts, but you know, availability is going to be part of this. When you when you look at some of the time that Justin has missed during his first two seasons, it's it's you know you you can't afford to have on your resume more games missed due to injury or illness than you have wins. You know, and so that's going to be another test for him is to play 15, 16, 17 games and to win a bunch of those as well. And that winning aspect of things, it, it's more than fair to expect that the Bears should be capable of more of that on the field. Now, what do you, what, what do you think, as, as you've gotten to interact with Ryan Poles here over the year that he's been running things, what, what's your impression of, of what he anticipates? It's one thing to talk about being competitive and, and taking the North and things like that, but do you feel like between Poles and Eberflus, how big of a leap do you think they feel is realistic for the core that they've assembled for this coming season? You know, I get the question all the time. I mean, what do you see? What do you see out of the Bears? What do you think they're going to do this year? And I say, I'm, right now I'm kind of sitting on the six and seven win fence, trying to sit there. And people get, are disappointed by that. And I say, well, look, that's doubling your win total. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's making, that's making a, a, a tangible step forward in terms of your ability to succeed. I know one thing that Ryan talks a lot about privately and then obviously with the team is, is just creating a championship mindset. And that means that when you get into these close games, you're not okay with celebrating, oh, we were in close games. You find a way to understand that, okay, there's five minutes left, we're up by three. There's six minutes left, we're down by four. We're going to do what it takes to win this game. And there's a lot that goes into that. Part of it is the quarterback being able to do what Patrick Mahomes does on a regular basis, which is just get the ball and say, jump on my back. We're going down to get the winning score here, and we're going to celebrate when this is all over. And part of it is just having a core group of playmakers and leaders that can make those plays that turn those close losses into close wins. And so they're going to have to show a lot of that growth. They're going to have to show a lot of that maturity. And, and so Ryan and, and Flus are responsible for creating the culture part of that and, and instilling the talent and developing some of these younger players 
so that when the games are on the line, somebody, somewhere will step up and make that play that swings it. What does it indicate to you that Jalen Johnson has now hired an agent? Does that expedite the timeline at all? Or now that you get somebody in the mix, does it mean they're kind of starting at square one with getting some talks going? Yeah, David and I talked about this this afternoon. I, you know, I think it, at the minimum it, it opens the lines of communication. And there's three guys from that 2020 draft class that you would talk about potentially getting an extension before the season starts or before the year's up, and it's Mooney, Komet, and Jalen Johnson. With Mooney, you get two screws put in your ankle, and, and you're coming back from a tightrope surgery. If you're the front office, you say, we need to see how, how you look. We need to see how you play before we start to engage in extension talks there. Jalen's in a different uh, boat there, and it's going to be really interesting to me to kind of get a, a better pulse on how the, the front office values him and what they see in him and whether Jalen can see that in a similar light where those contract negotiation talks can uh, feature that one key word, which is compromise, right? The Bears couldn't find it with Roquan Smith, and it deteriorated quickly, you know, just about 11 and a half months ago, and all of a sudden we were down a road that we never thought we were going to go down. And so that's going to be key to this is just kind of what, what is the Bears' value on Jalen? Does he understand why they value him that way? And can talks proceed from there? Do they want to see him prove more? You know, there's a chance that they say, look, like we haven't seen enough yet. If you want to be a number one corner, we're going to need to see more ball production. We're going to need to see, you know, consistency and durability in a way that if we're going to pay you, we want to see the production first. And so that's going to be part of uh, the questioning, I, I would imagine, in a couple of weeks when Ryan and Matt get up and, and speak to the media. And then it'll be interesting to hear kind of how that unfolds throughout the, the preseason. And I, I've seen the, the potential for kind of a, a parallel between the Jalen Johnson scenario, and like you referenced there, Roquan Smith, because both players are in a position where, or at least Roquan was and Jalen Johnson is at the moment, where throughout this early stretch of their career, the production on the ball, the takeaways, isn't necessarily there to the extent of the elite of the elite, the one percenters at their position. Now, Roquan plays off-ball linebacker, Jalen Johnson more of a premium position as a corner, but how big of an impact do you see that having on talks that you can look at Jalen Johnson and say a lot of teams have just thrown away from him or just completely avoided him in games, but there's no interception numbers. There's not even extensive deflection numbers to go with it. Do you think that really impacts the way that the Bears will view him and how negotiations may play out? I mean, I think it will impact it to some extent, for sure. And it, it's where it's interesting because Roquan wanted to be paid as the number one linebacker in the league, and he wanted to set records with, with the, the figures that came out in the contract. And, and the Bears just weren't willing to go that far. And, and ultimately, they traded him away, and, and the Ravens gave him what he thought he was worth. And, and so that is what he's worth now, right, because they were willing to pay it. And so now with Jalen, the question is, is what, what is the number that the Bears put on him right now and, and does Jalen feel like he's beyond that? And that's where it gets tricky sometimes. And certainly where hiring an agent helps is you can soften the blow of those conversations back and forth, which I think is part of the reason that things deteriorated as quickly with Roquan Smith, because that's hard to hear from a boss, right? Like, well, we just don't think you're the best linebacker in the league, you know? And you say, well, you know, screw you. I'm not going to practice in training camp. You know what I mean? And, and, and then it becomes this whole contest back and forth for a little while. Um, Jalen has certainly publicly spoken uh, with an understanding that, 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 you know, he wants to win, he wants to prove his worth, he wants to, you know, be here for a while. Now it's just a matter of, of seeing where this thing goes. Um, look, they've got, they've, got to find, they've got to identify building blocks because we're at a stage now where the Bears can't hang around and, and, and just count on forgiveness from a fan base that was beyond forgiving in 2022. They want to see success. 
They want to see building blocks. They want to see this thing propelling in the right direction. And so those guys need to step forward here in 2023 and prove who they are. All right, last thing, Dan, I appreciate you being generous with your time here. You're going to be there at training camp the week after next watching the Bears. Will they add a pass rusher between now and then? I think they're certainly in the mindset to continue trying to do so. One thing that I do appreciate about Ryan Poles is he's not going to make any reckless financial decisions at a time where the Bears aren't in that, you know, compete and and go after it all mode. You know, I think they would be smart to try to find somebody with a proven track record of rushing the passer to come in on a team-friendly short-term deal and, and, and use this as a springboard to their next contract. If they can't find that guy, you can't force the issue and put yourself into a, a situation where now all of a sudden some of the cap room that you have to, to, to be flexible with and to, to go out and build your roster gets chewed up because you felt desperate on the eve of a, a training camp of a season where most people think you're going to win seven or eight games, you know, or six, seven, eight, whatever that may be. Um, I think they're going to make a push. I think they're going to try to add to that, that room, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if it gets done. Now it's all just a matter of, of do those numbers work out. And, and that's, you know, the, the crazy thing I tell people all the time, we can watch a football game with our own eyes and know whether there's a win or a loss. <laughs> In negotiations, we never know the games that are being played, and we never know some of the plays that they've tried to run that either work or didn't work, you know, and, and so you're just kind of left in a guessing game at times to know who they're talking to and who they might talk to next and, and which direction it may go. But I certainly think that Ryan is in the, the mindset of let's try to get a little bit more help up there and, and at least breathe a sigh of relief as we go into a, a season that we know needs to show improvement. Yeah, secondary in good shape. Linebackers, you've spent the money. Got to get that pass rush rolling. It, it may happen even no in the midst of camp. It, you know, so I guess that's just one other spot where patience will likely be a virtue as Ryan Poles works this thing out, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you up there. I don't know exactly when I'm going to go up there to, to camp yet. I, I'll show my face on occasion usually, but I know you'll be there every day with the rest of the Bears beat. So I look forward to seeing you there in person. No doubt about it. I told David this afternoon, this is like when you're at the airport and they haven't started boarding the flight yet, but the, the gate agent has announced that boarding is coming soon. You start to get a little restless. You get out of your chair, you start creeping toward that gate. That's where we're at right now. So it'll be here before we know it. Yeah, man. Next thing you know, the plane's going to be taxiing and that thing's going to lift off. And it's going to be like the flight I had the other day. Six hours is going to feel like a long time, but hopefully you enjoy it with the rest of us. Thanks for your time, Dan. Can't wait. See you soon. All right, that's Dan Weederer of the Tribune and of the Take the North podcast and certainly one of our uh, contributors here at The Score. I promise a little uh, little baseball conversation as it relates to one of our teammates here at The Score who you heard on the air before I came on. Some, uh, some congratulations on the way, and I'll put a little personal spin on it. Tell you what I mean next here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Next weekend, when Pat Hughes goes into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, um, he will take Ron Coomer with him. He will take Zach Zaidman with him. And the three of them will be there celebrating. And that means somebody's got to do the ball games. 
and your boy gets to do three games in full. Cubs, Cardinals, at Wrigley, 120 games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm doing play-by-play on the Cubs radio network and right here on The Score. Elise Meneker from Marquee will be my partner. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. That put a smile on my face when I heard it earlier. Matt Spiegel, guy who, as far as I know, didn't play any professional sports, as is the case with a lot of the the top play-by-play broadcasters in the industry. And um, yeah, I was actually I was recently saying this. I mentioned how I saw Adam Amin and Jason Benetti out in L.A. at the the Fox Sports football seminar, and I shared with each of them, especially with with Adam, I know Adam better than I know Jason, but I you know, talked to Jason a good bit, more so on the air than, than off. But either way, you know, just shared with each of them just how, you know, I'm, just, I'm at a point in, in my life and in my career, frankly, that, that I just, I sit back and enjoy the success of others. You know, others who I've, who I just enjoy them, folks I've been around with, folks who I, I view as whether it's friends or acquaintances, but people I know well enough to just feel good about their success. I, I really, I, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm just enjoying taking that in. And I heard the guys talking about like, you know, Adam Amin's tiny but sort of formidable hugs. Uh, that, that wasn't their words. Those are my words more than theirs. But I heard Adam on with, uh, with, uh, with Dan and Lawrence when he was in earlier. And his, uh, I'll call them tiny yet formidable hugs, but that is, they're certainly impressive hugs. I'm a man who enjoys a good hug, and I very much enjoy the success of guys like that, guys like Adam Amin, like Jason Benetti, and had a moment similar to that, just hearing Matt Spiegel make that announcement on on his show today on Parkinson Spiegel that he was going to get an opportunity to call a full series of Major League Baseball, and that essentially being a lifelong dream for him. And just what a big deal that is for someone to be able to, to, to add that to a list of accomplishments in whether it's in this industry or others just feel, you know, I, I feel good for people when they, when they get to, to hit a new sort of plateau like that. And, you know, even without me, when I was talking to him out in uh out last week and, you know, just seeing, you know, Remember, like when I was calling arena football and Adam's agent was reaching out trying to see about him getting some arena football opportunities it's a while ago now before he was you know, one of the recognized as one of the best in the business, but just a guy looking for reps, looking for opportunities and, and honing his craft and, and now seeing what he's done and what he's become at this point and, and recognizing what he's capable of and you know, just he's formidable in every area that he operates in now as a play-by-play. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's not something that everyone, you know, can can master in the way that that he's that he's begun doing here. And you know, we, we've got a privilege in this city to to really have some of the best here. And that's what Chicago certainly should be. And with the the broadcasters that are in this town with these teams, you know, I, I really hope that a lot of you out there are able to appreciate what we have access to and now I don't I doubt Speaks has any you know I, I don't know how high hopes he has you know who knows no, no reason for him to put a ceiling on any of it 
Um, we've seen uh, you know, Connor McKnight get to do some great things, calling White Sox games after you know being largely a, a, a talk radio personality and now being able to move over to the baseball play-by-play opportunities and getting more and more of those in radio and television and you know, feel really good for Connor. And I text him, you know, frequently enough, just hearing him on the air, watching him on the air, and just seeing what that has been for him and what that has meant to him after kind of riding the roller coaster in this business a bit. And, you know, frankly, I mean, my, my professional career has gone more, more steadily than, than my playing career did. Um, and, you know, some, some quality personal career news that I've gotten here as of late that I've been, you know, looking forward to, not in a position to announce yet, but you know, certainly excited for some things here individually. But hearing that news from Speaks earlier and just thinking about what that means. And frankly, I mean, you know, we're just talking about a couple of years here since he even called his first game, let alone now getting an opportunity on, you know, one of the most prominent and powerful radio stations in the country and getting to do it for one of the preeminent brands in professional sports. And just getting to call a baseball game for a series, man. What that like I think about what it meant to me. I'm not nearly, not even close to the baseball fan that Matt Spiegel is. But for me, a couple of years ago, I guess it was last season, what season before last, getting to call a football game at Wrigley Field. And just the special event that that was when I called the Purdue versus Northwestern game at Wrigley. And just thinking about what that's going to mean to Spiegs, I got a. You know, I, I I got some joy out of that just hearing him describe his his excitement in that opportunity. It, it made me think a little bit about the first time I called a game in the broadcast booth because you know my my dream growing up was to well my first real professional dream was to be a, an NBA player. Now I, I maxed out uh, in my current height of uh, you know in the six three six four range. I got my tallest was around six four and probably more like 6'3 now. Um, but I, I wanted to be an NBA. I wanted to be Horace Grant. You know, I had the rec specs, had the goggles and everything to go with it when I was playing high school basketball. I was a power forward at Bolenbrook High School. You know, I was out there blocking shots and getting rebounds, taking charges, dunking the ball, you know, all athleticism, no skill, no finesse. So at a certain point, my basketball game peaked just in pure athleticism and fury. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm not going to be tall enough to be an NBA power forward or, or center. Certainly not going to be skilled enough to do that at any high level either, but as I played more football, I was like, okay, yeah, the, the sport is fun. I enjoyed it. I'm good at it. So I, I went down the football road as opposed to my basketball road peaking as a varsity high school basketball player. But I had no no dream. My, my wife was the journalism major uh, in our relationship, and she was the one who worked in television and radio while we were in school and after school. So it wasn't until my playing days were done before I even thought about trying to work in in sports media and broadcast media. And then just in, in a few years of, of kind of getting some reps in Nashville and Atlanta and then, you know, eventually, um, you know, getting some opportunities when the Big Ten Network first launched. And that spring, I got an opportunity to go call the Iowa Spring Game. And then that following fall, I was in the broadcast booth for the first time. I had never called a game in the booth before. I mean, frankly, I don't know if any of my bosses at the Big Ten Network listening right now. I kind of fudged uh, my initial resume uh, that I'd sent to, you know, I put a CD, a DVD together to send it to, to BTN and, um, you know, gave the impression I'd called some games in the booth before. I hadn't. You know, not that they really would have cared uh, too much either way. 
uh, with, with as sterling as my resume tape looked. You know, obviously a fair quality on the air. But at the time, the first time I was in the broadcast booth, happened to be at Kinnick Stadium for an early season game in Iowa City. And I just recall just being up there preparing for the game itself. And, you know, several hours before kickoff, just walking. And I, I'd never even been in a television broadcast booth at a stadium before. I'd been on the field at a bunch of stadiums, countless stadiums around around the country, around the world, frankly. And being in the broadcast booth, looking at all the equipment up there that I'd never seen before, because I wasn't a journalism major. I was an English major. I remember just looking around the broadcast booth, putting the headset on, hitting the different buttons, looking at the monitors and the telestrator and, you know, scribbling things around and people trying to explain to me what all this stuff was and what it meant. We're a couple hours away from me doing my first live broadcast, doing an Iowa football game at Kidding Stadium where I'd left body parts and bled over the field and all this stuff. And at one point, I was just kind of taken aback by it. I got on the phone. I called up my mom. When I was, I was testing out some of these buttons, and I hit the talk back button where, oh, I can, I can talk directly to my producer in the TV truck. I, this is a button where I hit this when I'm live on the air. Nobody else can hear what I'm saying. Just the people in the truck can hear me. All right, that's a talk back button. Wow, I'd never heard of that before. And then I was introduced to the cough button. So wait a minute. You're telling me that if I got to clear my throat or if I have to cough or sneeze or if I want to crack a joke that nobody else is going to hear, I can just hit this button and I can talk and nobody at home is going to hear me. You know what I got to do? I got to call my mom. I got on the phone. I, t- I stepped away from her like, Ma, guess what they got? They got a button up here where I can hit a cough button if I got a cough and I'll be live on the air and I can just cough and nobody's going to know I had to cough and I can go back to calling this football game on TV. Well, I was like, oh. That's nice, baby. Do you, do you need to get back to work or what? I was, oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get back to work. I just wanted to call and let you know I had a cough button. It was a very exciting moment to get to, to, get to do that for the first time. So that kind of that came back to my mind. That brought that memory back for me today, just hearing the, the joy uh, that, that Speaks has and, and the idea of getting to call. He's done some fifth innings, but now it's going to be an opportunity for him to call full games, a full weekend of action. And from a rep's perspective, it does make a huge difference to be able to do that. It's one, you kind of get a one-off here, one-off there, no consistency to it, no consistency of partners and of execution and of opponents and all these different things. Now, all right, you get three days in a row, three games in a row, and he's going to be with the consummate professional, a friend of mine, Elise Medicker. I've done some Big Ten games with her over the years, and you know her career has, has certainly blossomed in the way that it should for someone who's as good as what she does and one of the great talents, especially from a baseball perspective. But she's one who... Pretty much anywhere you plug at least, and whether it's in studio, sideline, she's been in the booth doing Cubs baseball plenty of times at this point also. So it'll be a great partner for Matt Spiegel to be with also uh, for that opportunity he's going to have next weekend when Pat Hughes is getting the call to the hall. So congratulations, Spiegs. Even though we're mortal enemies, we see each other on the street. You stay on one side, I stay on the other side. But uh, I respect game enough to let you know. I, I know this is a big deal for you, a major accomplishment for you, and I, I was really happy to hear that news. So congratulations to you, man. All right, but take a time out, come back, and uh, give you a little taste of one other thing. A couple other memories I want to share with you as we prepare. I'll be back with you tomorrow as well. And I'll give you a sense for what, I'm gonna, what I've got coming up for you when I'm on with you tomorrow leading into the return to the field for the Chicago Cubs. That and more to come as we close out tonight on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. We're live from Chicago. 
We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. All right, Quentin Williams. Just got that bag. We will see if the Chicago Bears end up in a scenario where they can locate a defensive lineman anywhere near the caliber that the New York Jets have, who they will be on. NFL hard knocks. The Jets have agreed to or been forced to by the National Football League do that. But Quentin Williams, $96 million deal with the New York Jets, $66 million of it guaranteed. It's the largest guarantee in New York Jets history. That goes beyond what C.J. Mosley got back in 2019, $51 million guaranteed to Mosley at that time. And Quentin Williams, 25 years old, just had one year left on his uh, rookie deal after being a first-round pick. So now they got him locked up through the 2027 season. They've got an interior lineman on defense that is amongst the best in the business, not just an emerging star, but someone who has emerged as a star after 12 sacks last season for the Jets. And, you know, it would be, uh, it'd be far-fetched to think that any of the Bears draft picks would be measuring up to that stature uh, because they just were not drafted at that status. But it'd be nice if, you know, someone of that group ends up being a hit for the Bears at some point here. But we'll have to uh, sit and wait and watch uh, just in case that that were to happen. But they did at least extend a few picks on there. You know, Javon Dexter in the second round and Zach Pickens in the third round, Travis Bell in the seventh round. Any of those guys going to turn into a Quentin Williams? That would be a pleasant surprise as I see it at the moment here. But you never know, man. You never know. You certainly don't want to rule that out. One thing I'd ruled out um, through much of my life, and I'd say at this point I probably still do, was the idea that I would ever get caught in a tornado. Now, it, it's a bit bold, a bit brash, The but, you know, it's kind of how it was when I was younger anyway. But, you know, I, I used to always say, because you just you grow up in this area, and I know a lot of you, are really similar in this regard. You grew up around here and you're just accustomed to hearing tornado sirens. It just, you know, you get to this time of year and you're in Tornado Alley and you're just gonna hear tornado sirens go off on occasion. And throughout much of my childhood that was that was the case. You'd hear a siren go off, especially once we moved to the burbs. I don't know, every couple of weeks or a good once a month or something like that, you hear the tornado sirens get tested, but then you know all right, that's the period of time where they test them. That's what the test sounds like, but then when it's the real deal, kind of, you know, off-peak tornado sirens, like, all right, that's not a test. This is, this is a true warning that the t- tornado is potentially on the way, that some, some funnel clouds are in the area, something might be popping off or swirling off with the tornado, some tornadic activity. That was the case yesterday. Just driving around. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you were in the same scenario here where you're just out doing your thing, trying to live your life. And next thing you know, in Chicago, right there in Chicago, tornado sirens start going off. And you're watching the, the news and they're telling you about your tornado precautions you need to take and everything else. So I don't know, Leo Stoddard, I don't know if you have been in a scenario before. Like, what's the, the closest, Leo, that you have been to a funnel cloud or any legitimate tornadic activity? You ever, you ever had to withstand that? One time, my dad and I, we were driving home for one of my hockey tournaments. We were coming back from Nashville. So we were driving by like Carbondale, Southern Illinois area. Yeah. And it was getting like pretty severe. Like uh, we, it wasn't officially a funnel cloud, but it looked like it was turning that direction. Uh, mm-hmm. There was definitely tornado like activity in the area. So we had to like pull over at a gas station and just kind of wait it okay. out in the middle of nowhere. All right. So you did, you did go ahead and pull over. You didn't try to do the storm chaser thing and, you know, try to 
outrun it like you know i thought my dad was going to try to power through eventually after a you know a long weekend and everything but like no he was he eventually pulled over and yeah yeah that's that's the better part of valor in those situations the the closest that i've ever been and i'm glad a lot of folks out there seem to get through with um you know not not too much more than some you know some property damage and there's certainly nothing too easy about that but Better than the than the alternative things could have been much worse. But the closest I've been, we actually we lived in Alabama. I was coaching arena football down in Alabama, and it was actually shortly before we were getting ready to leave Alabama and move up here. So this is a good whatever, like eleven, twelve years ago, and we were getting we had pretty much gotten a lot of our stuff packed up, and a huge system of tornadic activity rolled through. Alabama through the the Huntsville area kind of northern Alabama southern and central Tennessee the Tennessee Valley where we lived at the time and it got to the point where because you know usually I just you know especially when I was younger like that I would just kind of blow it off like ah whatever you know tornadoes are around me but they never actually hit me and I try to say that to instill a little bit extra confidence in my wife who can you know understandably get a little nervous in those scenarios when stuff like that is getting ready to pop off or swirl off so we get to the point where we're grabbing the flashlights, we're, 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 getting, we're getting helmets and pillows, we're going in the bathroom, we're just living in an apartment at that point on, I don't know, third floor of a little apartment community or something like that. We're getting in the bathtub, and you know the, the lights are kind of flickering, but they haven't completely gone out yet. But I'm like, well, let me go take a look at what's happening out here. I don't really, I tell them, well, just stay here, baby. It's fine. You know, keep your cell phone, text your siblings, your mom or whatever. I'll be back in a minute. So I go out there and I, I, I'm watching what appears to be the, the seventh circle of hell opening in the sky above me as I'm looking out the window. So my wife is yelling from the bathroom. She's like, what's it looking like out there? Like, it's all good, baby. We're fine. While I'm watching this funnel cloud open up just across the parking lot from where we're at. It seems like it's about to come down on our heads. So I, I grabbed the... the uh, the comforters and the, the blankets. I'm putting everything, pillows up against the window. I grab the mattress, put that against the big window in the living room and front doors, and then just go back and you know play it off. We get back in the bathroom. Ah, no, it's all good. I, I think it's gonna blow over. Just a little bit of rain. We go outside and see all the, you know, the damage and destruction that's taking place there. But did what I could to play it cool. So I you know, appreciate uh, everyone who we had on the show tonight, and I, I'm glad. Like I mentioned, I'm happy that. I think we got away from what was, you know, a bit of a nervous time, I think, in and around the city of Chicago. I saw a lot of images of folks at O'Hare and, you know, other places that were kind of taking shelter and everything. So, you know, seemed like one of those situations could have been much worse than it ended up being. So I'm glad we made it out, not unscathed, but with limited scathing, it seemed, in the Chicago land area. Thanks to all of you for listening in. Appreciate the guests who joined me on the show tonight. Dan Lust, Tim Stebbins, Dan Wiederer, and certainly... Thanks to my guy Leo Stoddard on the ones and twos for me this evening. And I appreciate all of your appreciations and salutations for listening to me, Anthony Heron, on Chicago Sports Radio 670 Score. So far, this game has been a dandy.